Today, we are concluding our series on how to level up your professional network. Already in the series, we have learned easy ways to find in-person networking events, how to host an easy yet effective networking party, the best practices for virtual networking, and how to make connections at your next business conference that you attend. With all this knowledge, you've been busy meeting new people, but we don't want the payoff from this hard work to disappear by this time next year. We need to make sure that we stay on top of and continue to strengthen these relationships. We need a process, and that is what we are going to be talking about in today's episode. This is a replay from my friend Dan Brodsky's podcast called Career Focused. Dan invited me onto his show to discuss networking. And honestly, we geeked out hard. Like, come on, I, I don't know what you really expected from me. Dan and I both shared our process for organizing our key professional contacts and the system we use to remind ourselves when an important relationship has gone too long without some attention. I also share a lot of networking tips, many of which I shared throughout this series, which is why I feel like this is the perfect capstone episode to this series. I want to make sure that we reinforce what we've learned over the last month. Also, go give Dan and his show some love. Career Focus is a new podcast that launched in July, and we have very similar missions to equip young professionals with the skills they need to succeed in their careers. If you are looking for more content like that, go follow Career Focus in your podcast player. That's enough for me. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the former St. Louisan turned Austinite, sounds very familiar, <laughs> Dan Browski. Justin, super pumped to be diving into this topic with you today. Welcome to Career Focus. Damn, man. It's been an honor that you invited me on. I'm excited to help you launch your show and, and be a part of some of these early conversations that you have here. I'm really excited to listen to the rest of the podcast episodes you're going to be dropped. So once again, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So glad that you're here. And I know that on your show in particular, you talk about a myriad of different topics. And obviously, you're a networking whiz. I knew that right away as soon as I met you in person a couple months ago. So glad that you're here to shed some light into all the knowledge that you tend to share. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. Networking has made such an impact on, on myself and my career. So excited to talk about this today. Great. Well, I would love for you just to share a little bit about your background and tell your story. I'll try to do a quick version of this, but who knows? It, it might take me a minute here. <laughs> Uh, so my professional career kicks off my sophomore year of, of college. I ended up working for an insurance brokerage and um, I ended up sticking with that company for the following seven years. And I think my story starts to get interesting whenever I moved out to San Diego, originally from St. Louis. I know you are too. So let's go cards. I moved out to San Diego. And at that time, I was just starting to feel unmotivated, unexcited, honestly, just like a little anxious career is very important. It's an important pillar of my life. So having those negative feelings associated really drug down the rest of my life. So I made a quick jump to a different insurance brokerage. This was like a really hard decision for me, you know, launching your professional career, being with a company for seven, eight years. But eventually I decided to go to a, a new insurance brokerage. And I knew, I'd say within three months, probably closer to three weeks that that company was even worse for me, job fit wise, culture fit wise. 
I was just so disappointed. And I found out that that wasn't going to be the long-term position for me. But I didn't really know what to do. Like I was like, here I am. I just announced on LinkedIn three months ago, all excited about this new job change that I had. I'm starting to get invested into this career. And then I'm like, this is not what I want to do. And I had this really transformative conversation with somebody that kind of knew a little bit of my background. And when I moved from St. Louis to San Diego, I saved up some money. I assumed I was going to be out of work for a couple of months, plus just the cost of moving in general. But the company I was working for at the time extended a remote position for me. They said, hey, why don't you just work remote for us? And I was like, great. So I didn't end up spending a lot of the money I actually saved up. And this guy challenged me and he was like, hey, Justin, I know you don't know what you want to do next in your career. I also know you saved up a little bit of money. Why not consider a career sabbatical? Like give yourself some white space to really decide what's next. And that thought from a kid that's been working since 14 as a soccer referee, then I got into fast food and then started working my professional career at 19, just did not cross my mind, especially in my 20s. But I did end up two months later actually taking up that offer, started a career sabbatical. Within that sabbatical, I launched a podcast. And here I am four years later, my whole life, I feel like is centered around podcasting as a podcast host, a podcast manager, running a business with my brother. So yeah, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And I still look back and I'm like, holy cow, if I didn't pull the trigger on that career sabbatical, where would I be right now? Yeah, I think that's super generous that your boss was willing to give you that sabbatical and that space to explore the right opportunities for you. I think as a young person, especially starting your career, there's a number of variables that can influence your experience. And your boss is probably the main thing. Fast forward to now, you've developed so much success for yourself by exploring different things. So I love that. Tell me a little bit more about your current role. I see work as very multifaceted for me right now. I'm at a nine to five. I actually went back to my original insurance brokerage. I'm working in their corporate office for the original manager that hired me as a 19-year-old intern, which you were mentioning your manager can have such an impact on you. During my career sabbatical, I did a few other things. That was the primary factor that I realized led to the most job satisfaction, the direct report that I worked for. Mm -hmm. So I got a call from Amanda while I was working for a startup whenever I re-entered the workforce again. And she moved into the corporate team and asked, hey, would you be open and interested in potentially coming back? And it was like a no doubter for me because once again, I was just like working for, at the time, who was my most challenging manager and mm -hmm. to get a phone call from someone that was so influential and such a great manager, it was an easy decision for me. Mm -hmm. That also dovetailed with what I was doing on the business front. I have a podcast called The Struggle is Real. And I was starting to develop some expertise in that domain and out of accident started a podcast editing company that's really morphed into a podcast management company. So my brother and I teamed up to, to launch this and help service-based providers launch shows, edit shows, manage shows, and eventually grow shows. That's been a blast. I mean, I've always thought I was had some entrepreneurial spirit and now that's kind of just solving that for me. So my life is a whole lot of work right now between podcasting for myself, podcasting with our clients, and then my nine to five. Definitely. With your podcasting world, there's a ton of networking I'm imagining that you have to do from potentially working with other people that can support your own projects to finding new guests and learning from other people. I know that you've got over a hundred episodes. And so I'd love for you to share some of the skills that you incorporate into your networking, whether it's for nine to five corporate world or other. I'd love for you to shed a little bit of light into how you develop networking as a skill. 
Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head right now. I just being in podcasting in general forces you to network, you know, especially if you have an interview based show like this. It's a great modality to expand your network. But once again, it forces you into it. I do a guest interview every other week. And I consistently have to be introduced and find interesting people with inside of my vertical that I'm speaking on. So yes, you get pretty good at networking over time. I think this actually probably started earlier in my career, though. I've always been fascinated. Of course, like we, we get drilled in college how important networking is. And I think it's really easy to say it's super important. <laughs> like you can see, I, I deem networking as a skill set for sure. It can be a safety net for you too. It can be a resource library. It helps you build your confidence. It helps build reputation. Me on the podcasting front, I'm networking all the time, which helps me stay on top of industry trends, of course, attract new clients. There's multiple reasons why I think networking is important. But yes, it's honestly just a whole lot of practice. You can learn some of the tactical pieces to networking and work through that. But also half of the battle is just getting out there and getting started with networking and growing that skill over time. Mm -hmm. I think one of the barriers for me when I started networking, and even now, some of the things that I'm not always super comfortable with is that I'm not an extrovert. I would much rather sit at home on a Wednesday night and watch Netflix or meal prep or something than go to an event, meet a bunch of strangers and try to develop a reputation or whatever it may be, or ask people for help. I'm starting this new podcasting venture and I don't necessarily know all the things that I'm doing. And so I got to meet folks just like you. And obviously it worked out here, but it's not easy. And I think the power of networking, even if you meet a hundred people in an event and 99 of those people, you feel like the conversation didn't go well. The one person where it did maybe is going to help you. Yeah. And, and I don't even think you have to look at networking as one dimensional. Like you don't have to show up to networking events to be considered a networker or to be in the act of networking. Introverts can do so many things. I think introverts are some of the strongest networkers that I've met personally because you carry one of the best skill sets within side of networking, which is active listening. I interview on other podcasters shows that are very extroverted and we're both fighting over the mic and essentially not listening to each other. But you're very engaged, very respectful. You're willing to share the conversation. And I think those are sub skill sets of networking and building relationships with people. But yes, I think you have to be careful not to completely de-energize yourself by going to these large networking events and forcing yourself to mingle with a whole lot of strangers. There's tons of other opportunities you could potentially do, like one-on-one -on -one connects or smaller group setting type networking events. You brought up a really interesting topic there. There's a book that I read not long ago. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it talked all about the power of active listening. And one of the particular excerpts that I really enjoyed reading about was the ability to actively listen to people gives people the impression that you were such a great conversationalist. Everyone likes to really talk about themselves. If you're talking to somebody for five minutes, you don't even necessarily have to say a lot. If you're showing that you're paying attention and engaged and you ask questions, they're probably thinking, man, Justin was such a good conversationalist there and you didn't even do anything. No doubt. No doubt. So I would love for you to dive into a little bit of some of the do's and the don'ts of network. Yeah. So I think we just hit a big one there, which was active listening. Of course, if you're out networking, it's to 
meet other people, to build relationships with other people, to learn from other people. So I think that's really important. And that can show up in a multiple of ways. But of course, like being engaged, simple things like not being on your phone, uh, making eye contact, shoulder square to people. Those are kind of really easy things you can tackle. But also just being selfless, like guiding the conversation, the direction that the other person is hoping for, sharing some commonalities and not dominating conversation. Another important thing to do is offer help. I like to end almost every one of my conversations with a simple question, what can I do to support you right now? That's just a great closing line. And you'll find that there's there's ways that you can support people. And a lot of times I get the question, oh, I don't think there's anything right now. Other times people have some ideas. Us as podcasters, if somebody reflects that question back to me, I love to just say, do you mind just listening to one of my most recent podcast episodes and giving me some feedback on it? That's something that anyone and everyone can do. You don't have to have a dense network, you know, the right person to introduce them to this certain skill set that they're looking for. There's so many ways you can support that just about anyone can do. But on the flip side to that, I think you have to be careful with offering help. And I've seen this go awry in places where it's less of offering help and more soliciting unwanted advice. It's one thing to hop on here and, and I could just mansplain you all about podcasting and what you're doing wrong and here's what you should be doing. That doesn't feel good for anybody. If you ask me questions and I feel like I can offer help, great. If not, I don't need to, as rock climbers say, beta spray you all over. <laughs> so I think that's important. And then one more final piece that I feel like is potentially a don't in the networking space is to not just focus on new connections. And remembering that, yes, networking, half of the equation is meeting new people and building relationships with new people. But the other half of the equation is developing those relationships and maintaining those relationships over time. So I feel like, especially early on in my career, I wasn't staying organized. I wasn't staying top of my current network. It's much more successful if you just nurture the relationships you've already built versus always trying to gain new relationships into your network. I love that. And if you meet people over the course of maybe a series of months or a year, what are some ways that you would suggest folks stay organized? Do you have a process that you currently use to stay organized with networking? I'm curious. Yeah, great question. I do. I develop a spreadsheet and I create a bunch of the names, people that I met, especially people that I remember I do want to follow up with. And then in a column next to it, I'll put maybe their title or something about them that I remember that's really important, where they mm -hmm. work or something like that. If I just met Justin, I might mention the date when I met him as well. You're from St. Louis. You're a baseball fan. I didn't know either of those things about you before, so I'm definitely going to mention that. And then reasons I can help them or they can help me. Oh, I like that. In some cases, I might even add a rating system like one to five of how impactful that individual may be for me or vice versa. If I was reaching out to you on LinkedIn and I had never met you, so I'm doing virtual networking in this case, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, I have a list of 10 people that I need to reach out to, but I got to prioritize them. If I put Justin as a five out of five in terms of impact that he can make on me or vice versa, then I'm going to start reaching out to the fives. Then I reach out to the fours and so on and so forth. And so I would say to sum it up, their name, maybe where they work or some high level professional information about them that is really important, the date and maybe the place of when I met them, personal information, and then the dates that I reached out to them or circled back or followed up with them. So that way, when I revisit the spreadsheet, let's say a week from today, I know that, okay, I reached out to Justin a week ago 
and he didn't respond, I'm going to circle back with him again now. And then you just iterate it from there, depending on what's important to you and patterns you might develop from all of your outreach or your following up or events that you attend, you iterate. But a spreadsheet is where I house and organize a majority of my network. Nice. I absolutely love this. I'm very much a process guy. And listening to you, some people might be turned off by that. Like you're putting this like systematic process, almost like this taking the human element out of networking. But what I have found is that we all have good intentions. We meet someone really amazing and we're like, oh, I want to make sure that I stay in touch with them. Like I want to talk to them at least a couple of times a year. And then our memory just doesn't serve us very well and we forget and then time passes and then maybe we remember a year or two later. And then it's like, I haven't talked to them in a while. It kind of feels awkward to reach out now. And then that relationship essentially just fizzles out and you guys never talk again. And I've seen that time over time in my own life and I was tired of it. So yes, I create a process very similar to yours. And I think you can start simple, like those columns that you're mentioning, if that seems overwhelming to you, just start with the name, like just have a list of names of people that you want to stay connected with so that at least you have something to go out and reference. But for me, uh, I call it my hot 100 list, it, very similar format. I use a project management tool to do this, but it's a grid spreadsheet format, similar like Excel or Google Sheets, if you're comfortable with that. I have columns. So I have the name column. I actually have categories or a, a tags, essentially. So for you and my hot 100 list right now, you're tagged as podcast guest and podcaster. So anytime I get opportunities to introduce my podcast friends to other podcast guests, I'll filter down that tag and I'll look at all the people on my hot 100 list that I have tagged as podcast guests. And if it suits the show well, I might make some introductions there. Similar on the podcasting front, maybe I develop a new tool through our business and I'm like, man, this is super cool. I want to share it out with all my podcaster friends. I'll go out there, I'll filter the tag for all my podcast friends, and then I'll send out some tool that we developed. And then everybody on my hot 100 list, I keep it to a list of 100 because it seems very manageable for me. If I do one outreach Monday to Friday, so one a day, Monday to Friday, that's roughly about 100 a quarter. So I try to reach out to at least one person every single day. And it could be as simple as, hey, man, we haven't got to, to catch up in a little while. How's life going? What you got going on this summer? Or it could be a little bit more intentional. I might flip over to their LinkedIn or their Instagram, see what's been happening in the last couple of months, ask them a specific question. And then if I feel like too much time has gone by and we've only done the digital texting or messaging, I, I'll be like, hey, you want to like hop on a call and catch up for 20, 30 minutes? So I'm managing my Hot 100 list that way. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you reach out to people on average once a day. Are you going into the week saying, okay, this week I'm going to reach out to people that are dedicated to podcasting, or I'm going to reach out to people dedicated to work, or I'm going to reach out to friends that I haven't talked to in a while. Are you categorizing your outreach or is it just anyone that kind of comes to mind? If only I was that strategic. I have a check box column um, on my spreadsheet. So anytime I reach out to someone, I check that box, then I filter those people out. So like my hot 100 list is essentially getting smaller and smaller as the quarter progresses. Okay. And I just know throughout the quarter, I want to reach out to those 100 people. I don't have any system or specific weeks that I set aside for particular kinds of people because mm -hmm. people pop up all over. Like the fact that we just hopped on this call and we get to have an hour long podcast conversation, that will be my networking activity that I do for the day. And I'm going to check your box. But if we talk again next week, that's fine. I'm just not going to necessarily check your box or use that as my networking activity for the day. So yeah, some people on my top 100 list, I talk to on a weekly basis. 
other people, it slips through. And I'm like, man, it's been three months since we talked. I need to reach out to them and, and see what's happening. I love the organized approach and a hot run 100 list or spreadsheet, something like I do is not going to work for everybody. It works for mm-hmm. you and me. But I would suggest to anyone that might be listening to this is develop a system that works for you. You don't have to do it the way I do it or the way that Justin does it. If you need just a simple notes tab on your phone to keep in touch with people, or you need to set reminders or alerts on your phone or on your calendar or whatever it may be, that's fine as well. However you feel like it's best for you to stay organized with developing and managing relationships is going to be the best way for you. That's the beauty of it. You're developing a system that's going to help you. So do it the way that works for you too. I'll I'll throw out a few other ideas. Once again, if you don't really like the spreadsheet idea, some people aren't really that comfortable or proficient. And and that I do, I like the notes. I have seen people do last text in your text messages. So they scroll to the very bottom of their text messages and whoever's sitting there right down at the bottom, they'll send them a message or they'll delete them out if it's like someone they don't remember who they are. So that could be a potential way for you to just systematize this. I also put tags on my contacts in my phone. So whenever I add someone into my phone, I'll put a tag in there. I'll do a lot of location-based tags too. So you in my phone would be podcaster, baseball, and Austin. And then anytime like I'm having some friends over or I'm like organizing a party, I might like search for Austin in my phone contacts. And all of the people I have tagged Austin and my phone contacts, I already have that list 40 or 50 people. I'll just start reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. I think what's unique about the way that you're organizing it, both socially and professionally, integrate them all together, at least in some cases with folks that you might have things in common with. And I think what's unique about networking and meeting people, especially in today's age of work and professionalism, is that people primarily want to work with people or build relationships with people that they genuinely enjoy being around. And I think that's critical when developing and maintaining and growing relationships with new contacts is that at the end of the day, you want to find things that you have in common with folks and you also want to be really likable. It's really just like making friends or dating. You talk about or you find things that you have in common, ways that you can hopefully help each other if it's a professional contact that you're connecting with. And then you go from there. And you figure out in your professional life or in your personal life where things can come together. Um, And I think, again, going back to developing your own system and your own strategies of who you meet and why, definitely an interesting way of thinking about it that I think can help people. I like the two call-outs that you gave there too, dating and making friends. I think this whole the whole context of this conversation is all about professional networking. But if we just look at networking as a whole... I would classify dating and making new friends and and honestly, just maintaining friends as the the skill of networking. So I think this is very transferable to those other areas. And Mm -hmm. if you don't consider yourself a quote, quote, networker, are you good at making friends? Then yeah, you're probably a pretty proficient networker. You just need to figure out how to translate your personal networking into your professional networking. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's a good segue into one of the questions I want to ask you. I... I'm not super extroverted. I'm a little bit rigid sometimes. And that turns people off for sure. At least I have the self-awareness to try and eliminate rigidity into my social and professional scenes. But one of the most important skills that I think folks can develop when they're networking is the ability to break the ice and not seem uncomfortable. And even if someone else is uncomfortable, trying to get them comfortable talking to you, especially if you don't know them. Do you have any suggestions on how folks can break the ice effectively? 
I'll start meta and then we'll get more tactical on this because I do have a couple of thoughts here. First thing, just recognizing and knowing that everybody feels awkward whenever they're first meeting people. And I feel like that awareness at first might give you a little bit of anxiety, but then makes you realize we're all human and we're going to say some weird things. We're going to be awkward. If I just push through it, like some really great things can come. I, I don't remember our first interaction. Like I remember coming up to you and making an introduction at the, the podcast meetup that we went to. That first two minutes might have been really awkward. I can't remember or not. I don't know how I introduced myself, what I said. But at the end of the day, the feeling that I was left with after talking to you was really positive. So I, I do think some space and room to like just fumble around and be awkward with introductions. And there's forgiveness because we are all in that, especially at networking events too. I've felt this way so many times. You walk into that big room and everyone's there and you're like so uncomfortable. You're the weird dude that's like not talking to anyone right now. <laughs> and then someone comes up to you and they introduce themselves to you and you might fumble through that introduction, but it you just like appreciate that person so much having the bravery to come in and make that introduction. So mm -hmm. you could be that person for somebody else if you're comfortable or just to an extent, don't really care if you fumble or mess up the introduction. Some more intentional networking. If I'm going to have an introduction call with someone, maybe a virtual coffee or an in-person coffee, I, I can pre-plan that. Like I know I'm about to meet somebody. I'll flip over to their LinkedIn, maybe check them out on social media. And I'll have three or four talking points already. So I can come in and break the ice with those talking points. I might come in right away. Like you and I jumped into Cardinals baseball talk pretty much right from the start whenever we hopped on this call. And it broke the ice a little mm -hmm. bit. Like it allowed us to start warming up this conversation that we're now currently having. So just having a few crutch opening conversations is great. And also just throwing it out there and setting the intention for the conversation too. You can always start your intentional networking calls with, hey, I'm really trying to meet some new people. I appreciate you making some time for me. I want to get to know you as a person, learn a little bit about your career path, just so I can like learn new things and get exposed to new pieces of information. And you can just like set the stage and take control of the conversation right from the get-go. Definitely. And I think also, especially with the intentional networking, like you said, and you don't necessarily have to share this with them, but going into the meeting with a proposed outcome that you're hoping to get. So if I'm trying to become a professional podcaster and I'm meeting with Justin for the first time and he owns a podcast company and he's a podcast host himself, then I know that there are probably nuggets of gold that Justin can share with me to help me in my own journey. The same thing goes if you're applying for jobs or whatever it may be. Being somewhat organized in your own thoughts and questions that you ask, things that you bring up in those conversations, is going to help you not just feel like you got to know these people, but also you got what you went into the conversations from. And if it's an unstructured networking event where it's literally an event and you're just meeting a bunch of strangers in a big room and you're shaking hands and introducing yourself, like you said before, asking people how you can help them. And more than likely, they're going to ask you the same things. So having some ideas in your back pocket of skills you bring to the table that can help other people and how other people can help you is going to be a really good way that you can close the loop when you're talking to people on the back end. Yeah. And to give a little bit more tactical for breaking the ice, there are a couple of like crutch general open framed questions I love to use to just get the conversation going. It's like if I have no context of somebody, I'm just going to like bump into them and, and try to make introductions. I typically like to ask, how do you know the host? Because that could spark some great conversation. You could ask like, why'd you come tonight? Are you trying to get something out of this? That's a great open-ended question that can usually dovetail into a pretty good thread. And then, yeah, just 
now following your curiosity after the fact, whenever they say, I don't, I don't know the host at all. I'm actually a plus one for somebody else that's here. And they're like, oh, cool. And then you can just follow like, oh, why'd you end up saying yes? Like this is kind of an intimidating event to just show up to and say yes to. And then you might build some rapport. They might come back to you and be like, I don't really know. I didn't have any expectation. I didn't really actually know. I'm in visiting my friend that's here. I'm like, oh, cool. Where are you, where are you in town from? And then the conversation just kind of naturally goes if you just pick apart the most interesting part of the responses and ask a follow-up question and of course add um, some commentary in there. I love that. And I think one of the unique ways that people can really find value from your conversation with them too is if you understand in talking to them why they're there or what they're looking for. And maybe you can't specifically help, but maybe five minutes ago you talked to John Smith who does do that. You can be like, oh, it's funny that you're interested in that particular topic. I was just talking to the gentleman, John, he's right over there. I'd be happy to introduce you because I think that you two could have something to talk about. That's a good way, I think, to build rapport without even really getting to know people too. Mm-hmm. And a nice way to exit conversation. I know that's a big challenge, especially in these like open-ended networking events, especially if mm-hmm. the goal is to go to these events and meet as many people as you can. You don't want to get cornered into a conversation for 20 or 30 minutes. And you might be having a phenomenal conversation with somebody, but you can table it and be like, hey, I loved talking to you right now. I feel like we still have a ton to talk about. I showed up here because I wanted to meet, you know, a dozen or so people, but do you mind if we connect on LinkedIn or can I give you my phone number and we can set up a 30 minute virtual coffee to talk a little bit more or finish this conversation? So you can go that direction. But yeah, sometimes I can't find the appropriate way to exit the conversation. Mm -hmm. I might refer back to somebody that I met earlier in that, like, hey, I think you would really love meeting Dan. Dan's also a podcaster. He just started about a month ago. I think you guys would have some similarities in terms of early lessons learned. You mind if I introduce you to him? And then I'll carry him up, introducing you to him. And like I said, a great way for an exit. Definitely. Good point there. You and I have talked a little bit about in-person events so far. What's your experience been in the last couple of years as remote unstructured networking has developed more and more. I love remote networking. It's honestly one of the silver linings I feel like of COVID for me. I was somebody that really enjoyed networking and meeting lots of new people, but it was very hard on my schedule to find time for lunch or coffee. Like you can only do a handful of those every single week. You know, the drive time, meeting with them. You don't want to spend like 20 minutes with them on a coffee or a lunch, like that just seems too rushed. So I usually always ended up booking it for an hour and then you got to commute back to the office, all of the things. So it'd be like a three hour adventure for one connection. Virtual is great because I can stack three or four conversations in the same three hour period now. And it's Mm. so amazing. And there's like an obvious start and end time for some of these things. It's like anyone can make it through 20 minutes of conversation with somebody too. So like if it's just a complete flop, you can kind of get to the end or the finish line a little bit quicker than if it's a virtual or in-person. There's so much less logistics to figure out. So I really enjoy that. Um, But I do think it can be sometimes a little bit more challenging as well. Like if people are distracted, they might be looking at things on their computer. It's harder to build rapport whenever you're looking through a computer screen versus being with somebody there face to face. So I like blending both, but at the same time, it gives me accessibility to anyone and not just people that are living in Austin currently. For sure. And if you're going into a Zoom meeting, what are recommendations that you would have to try and leave having made good impressions with the strangers that you've now met for the first time? Oh, I feel like the big Zoom meetings are hard unless there's like specific breakout rooms or speed dating opportunities. 
then that's a little bit different. If it's a large kind of one-to-many conversation, I don't find too much value within networking in that space. I'm typically going to those to learn new things, like absorb information. But one thing you can do is take advantage of the direct messages. So if somebody says something, maybe they do get a chance to speak, or we did quick introductions around the room first, and someone really caught my eye, I'll direct message them, and I'll be having a conversation with them in my chat, trying to move them over to LinkedIn. Then I'll start having the conversation in LinkedIn, and then eventually move that person into a virtual coffee. So yeah, if it's one to many like that, I'm usually trying to leave with two or three good conversations and the direct message feed. I think that's a great call out there to chat with folks on a Zoom call is a great way to try and stand out and build relationships right away. But I do agree with you that those large scale events where you're not put into breakout rooms, or you're not having small group discussions, they're not typically valuable. So as someone that is maybe less seasoned as you or I might be with networking, and you're trying to get into certain remote networking settings, it logistically is good to do that because you can stack some of those meetings together and just be more time efficient, but also do as much research as you can on what you can expect with that virtual event. If they don't mention there's breakout sessions, if the general description of the event or the topic that they're going to cover is super broad and it, it doesn't seem on paper to be valuable to you before you go into it, then I would recommend you don't attend and you probably find something else, especially if it costs money. Yeah. If it's a one-to-many, a guest speaker or something like that, I got to find value in the content that is going to be delivered and maybe networking could be a byproduct. If it's being positioned as an opportunity to network, then yes, I'll I'll be a little bit more diligent about making sure this isn't just a, a roundtable snooze fest where I'm going to get 2% of the total talk time there. I'd much rather just spend my time connecting in a small group setting or even a one-to-one setting. Great thoughts there. So let's say you've left an event and you've got some good contacts. What are some ways that you would recommend folks follow up effectively with some of those new contacts? I typically love to follow up the very next day, maybe even that night, if possible. The sooner, the better, just in terms of staying top of mind. Also, part of my follow-up process, I have a to-do list that I run through. And on that to-do list is a list of standard things that I do pretty much every day. One of those is called follow-up. I'll look at my meetings from the prior day. I follow up with people, but that's multifold. A, it's adding anyone new into my Hot 100 list. Maybe I met with someone that I feel like I really want to make sure I stay connected with. I'll add them into my Hot 100 list. I'll connect with them on social, good or bad. I do like social media just for the fact that it's a great way to have touch points with people in between your actual connection opportunities. You can stay on top of some of the things that might be happening in their world. So I really like that. I typically follow people on Instagram and LinkedIn, or maybe just LinkedIn if it's a just a professional contact. And then if I made any promises or deliveries, then I'll follow up on those. So prior to this conversation, I just made a note down here that I'm going to share with you a spreadsheet that I have that's going to help you in your podcast launch. So in my follow-up, I'll say, hey, Dan, it was so great talking to you on your podcast. Really enjoyed that. Looking forward to the release. As I mentioned, here's the spreadsheet that's attached. Let me know if there's any way I can support you. I don't think you have to overdo it. Simple, pleasant follow-up is great. I'm email now. If you really want to make an impact with someone, you have their address, handwritten, I guess. I haven't found as big a need for that right now in this kind of digital world. But yeah, if you made any promises, great. And if I didn't make any promises and I just want to be in somebody's inbox after, maybe I met you at a networking event, I might simply just say, Dan, it was great meeting you yesterday. Looking forward to staying connected and leave it at that. One of the things that you mentioned there right at the end is that you don't have to overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be yeah. tricky. 
we don't want to read a three paragraph response that someone sent us just as a thank you, really. I had a coach in college that used to say, keep it simple, stupid. Just yeah. make it easy so that nobody has to really think too hard about what it is that you're trying to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I think that's a great thought. Is there anything that you feel like someone that's new to networking are stressing over that they don't need to stress about at all? I think we talked about it earlier, just the fear of judgment in general. I probably have something like two or 300 networking activities that I'm going to end up doing this year. And I Mm -hmm. promise you, there will be a dozen, maybe even more than that, that were just a complete strikeout. I wasn't on that day. And this person that I was meeting with and myself, we don't have the same energy level. We just didn't mesh. I was just fumbling or being awkward that day. (laughs) You just got to strike out. So just give yourself the opportunity to have some flops. Sure, you might be judged by someone. Like I might hang up a call with like you, for example, and be like, wow, that dude's weird. I'm never going to talk to him again. But at the end of the day, like I'm probably going to forget that conversation pretty quickly. So reflect that back on yourself. If you were just being weird or awkward that day and someone had that lingering thought after the fact, sucks. But at the same time, like it's not going to stay on someone's mind as long as it's going to stay on your own mind. So just give yourself the grace to let that go and to continue forward because you're going to have a bunch of amazing conversations, more so like you. Actually, you and I hit it off right away whenever we first connected. Here we are collaborating a podcast interview together, and I'm guessing we'll collaborate maybe and go to baseball games together here in the near future too. Definitely. I certainly hope so. One last question for you, Justin. What's something that 20-year-old you would be proud to know about present day you? That's a good thought. I think something I was stressing about in my 20s was just my career path and trying to formulate it and like craft what I was going to be doing over the next 40 years of my life. And my 20-year-old self would be super curious to know where I'm at in my career right now. But I feel like my 30-year-old self would be most proud to tell my 20-year-old self that I kind of let some twists and turns happen in my career and I lived through them and it was great. And honestly, the serendipity of my career path has been one of the best things I've had over the last decade of my 20s. So just the fact that I've gotten way more comfortable with the unknown and honestly embracing some of the serendipity in my career would be something that I think my 20-year-old self would be really proud of. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much unknown that can be really scary and it seems super dark, but sometimes when things are challenging or obstacles into the success that you're trying to build for yourself. If you can lean into that, it might be different success than what you expected, but I think at the end of the day, it makes the successes that much sweeter than maybe you thought. Yeah, no doubt. Do you have an answer for yourself on that question? It's a good question. I would say for me, when I was 20 years old, I was still living in the Midwest. I was a couple states away from my family, still in college. And I expected that there's kind of a linear path to success and the things that you want to do. And I've pivoted my career a few different times. I live a thousand miles away from home now. I've been in different relationships. Like there's a lot to my personal and professional life that is totally different. And the path that got me here is different than what I ever expected. So I would say like I've gotten comfortable with uncomfortable is something I'm really proud of. And I feel like that is one of the things that drives me going forward because you don't know what the future holds. Part of that can be fun. That's part of the adventure. No doubt, man. I feel like we're in very similar threads with that. It's just that something you learn over your 20s. Like, (laughs) There's so much unknown to life. I'm a big believer in like goal setting and trying to craft a path for yourself. 
but also realizing that sure, you kind of guide the sales, but at the same time, things are going to come quicker or slower than expected. There's going to be unknown left and right turns on your path. And part of being a human is just being able to not only endure those, but sometimes embrace those unknowns. And I don't know, I feel like that's where a lot of the joy of life actually comes from. Yeah. And I think some people are wired or they were conditioned at an early age to be able to predict all of the things in their life, whether that's getting a corporate job and getting a family by 25, or that's living a life of adventure and traveling the world until you physically can't anymore. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, I think giving yourself grace and the ability to pivot the way that you envision your life and some of the things that motivate you and that you enjoy and always having an open mind is something that is really going to help your happiness along that journey. So I think there's, we could probably go on and on about that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really biting my tongue right now because I would really love to just dig into this one. But yeah, I think that was a mic drop moment. So we should end it there. Justin, you've shed such great wisdom into networking and some other topics as well. I really appreciate you being here. I love the fact that you were able to sit down and chat with me about networking today. Hope folks reach out to you and continue to learn more from The Struggle is Real, but looking forward to connecting again very soon. Thanks so much.